Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I had the honour and pleasure of being interviewed by my friend and colleague Jennifer Fugo a few months back. She has a podcast which is absolutely amazing called The Healthy Skin Show. If you're dealing with chronic skin rashes, eczema, psoriasis, whatever the issue is, then Jen's podcast is a goldmine of information. But she interviewed me on acne, um, well that's kind of my area of speciality. And her episodes are a lot shorter than mine, so we did a two-part series, and in this episode we've kind of merged them together so I can share it with you guys. But please go over to her podcast if you want more from her. So in the first part, we cover my acne journey, the acne and gut connection, how to tell or treat fungal versus bacterial acne, different symptoms and signs that can indicate either or. And then in part two, which is um, the first one was 100, episode 183, the second one was episode 199, so a few months later, it covered the hormone stress and acne connection. My thoughts on dairy, whether it's something that you need to cut out if you have acne and skin issues or not, and my top stress management tips that I think are pretty practical and realistic. They're not just kind of meditate for an hour every morning. It's simple things that I know work and have helped my clients, especially those with acne, because having a skin issue makes you stress, self-conscious and have anxiety. So hopefully they help you out. But if you want more, like I said, you can visit Jen's um, podcast. And I also interviewed her a few months back. So I will link that in the episode as well. She was on my podcast talking about about the root causes of eczema. We're actually done a two part. I'm not sure if the second part was out. We talk about topical steroid withdrawal, conventional medications for eczema. So both or one episode will be linked in the show notes. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get straight into it. Thank you, Vivian, so much for being here on the show. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm so excited to chat with you again. I know. And so for those of you listening, I was on Vivian's podcast. Uh, Let's see here. It was episode 97. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Vivian has a great podcast called Hormones in Harmony. So we'll link to that episode in the show notes so you guys can also check it out and also easily find her podcast because it really is a great resource no matter where you live in the world because it's available online for everybody to check out. And today we wanted to talk about acne because you guys know that I don't necessarily specialize in acne. That's not my wheelhouse. So I've had other people come on the show to talk about acne and as I was talking to Vivian and checking out her stuff, I was like, oh, this is what she does. It'd be great to have her come on the show and talk about this because we don't have a ton of content on acne. And yet acne is something that can be just as embarrassing, painful, um, and, and, real, and it can also cause a lot of scarring to your, to your especially to the face, um, that can really leave people feel uncomfortable for a long time. And I know 
too. I've had clients where women will go through menopause and end up with acne or you'll develop acne out of the blue in say your thirties. And you're like, I've never had this before. So Vivian, if you could share with us a little bit about your journey, I know that acne is, this is like not just something you specialize in, but this impacted you directly. Absolutely. It was like the biggest problem that I had for years. And I was struggling with like a ton of different health issues, like pretty complex and serious things. I was even having like seizures at some points and migraines, terrible digestive symptoms. But for me, acne, I just wanted my skin to be clear. So that was my driving force. It was one of the first symptoms that I ever experienced and one of the very last to clear up. Because wow. really the skin, as you probably say all the time, is like one of the last things that the body puts energy and effort into until the body internally is healthy. So mine started when I was maybe 17 or 18, which is actually pretty late to the game. I thought I'd gotten away with the regular teenage acne. My skin was like clear as anything. And my, my friends were struggling with breakouts all the time. But mine was triggered by um, over-exercising, under-eating, going to the gym. Um, so I was pushing my body too much and it was like really stressed and inflamed. And I lost weight and that motivated me to keep going. And my body was just not getting enough nutrition. And I was just burning through my minerals and my, my calories too quickly. So I developed acne, my hair started falling out, my period stopped. I didn't really care about the period stuff because like, an 18 year old girl doesn't really care about <laughs> yeah. that. Now I know yeah. the importance of a menstrual cycle, right. but it was my mom who forced me to go to the doctors. Mm. They put me on the pill. The first one was Dianet, so it was like a really high estrogen or estrogen pill, and that made my skin even worse. I later found out that I have an issue with um, genetically detoxing estrogen, so I had the COMT gene, so that was a bad combination for me. Then I went on another pill called Yasmin. Mm -hmm. which is one that is more specific to skin and hair. They claim that it's the best one for those problems. So I went to the doctor requesting to go on Yasmin and it did clear my skin. It stopped my hair shedding, but my hair literally didn't grow at all during that whole two years that I was on it. I think I shaved my legs like four times, which is really crazy to think. Oh my um, gosh. And even though my, my cycle, it was not a real period because um, the pill doesn't do that, but I was bleeding again. Everything was good for a couple of years, but then I started to develop other symptoms. So I started getting histamine reactions, multiple food sensitivities, IBS, anxiety, which I'd never had before. So then I started to think, okay, this isn't normal. Um, I wanted to live more of a holistic, healthy lifestyle at that point. So I went to see a nutritionist. She told me about the potential dangers of the pill and how it's masking the problem. I came off the pill. Um, and kind of in that, when I would, first went to the doctors, I was di diagnosed with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a very common cause of chronic adult acne in women in particular. So I came off the pill, um, acne came back with a vengeance, like it does a lot of the time because the pill actually makes all of the underlying mechanisms of acne worse. So things like blood sugar imbalances and gut issues, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. So my skin was terrible and then I developed all of these gut issues. So that was like a whole journey in itself. So it wasn't until I addressed those things, cleared the gut infections, got my liver working again, that um, my skin finally healed. And a little bit of a side tangent, but a big problem for me and a big cause was actually mold illness, mold exposure. And that was causing chronic immune suppression. 
within my body so that my hormones couldn't function so that my mm -hmm. body couldn't regulate bacteria that's naturally on the skin um, i had a ton of liver congestion because the mycotoxins impair detoxification so this isn't something to jump to straight away i'd done everything so i tried healing my gut like 50 times i tried all the liver cleanse herbs and had always seen some improvements like i got a certain benefit but it it would have to be that i'd um, be stuck on this restricted organic low histamine diet hundreds of pounds worth of supplements every month coffee enemas and detoxings every week in order to have like semi-clear skin and then i started to think this isn't normal i shouldn't mm. have to rely on all of this support to be healthy so once I moved, I only moved um, in mid 2020 from my previous home. And it wasn't until then that I really noticed a significant benefit. And now I feel the healthiest that I've ever felt. Mm. And um, my skin is the clearest that it's probably been since I was wow. before 18. And so it goes to show you, um, for those of you who know that I talk a lot about root causes are important and a lot of times these are hidden, they're underneath the surface and there is a hierarchy to them because if you have something like mold, that can cause major problems despite having all these other issues that are issues, it, this is just like a huge, huge problem. And, and, and we've also heard a number of experts like Dr. Jill Krista was on the show and talked about how you, you got to get out of that environment. Like there's no way around it. There's no supplements you can take that are going to fix it. You, you have to leave the environment that you were in that is causing that type of reaction. And, 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 and I want to be clear here, not everybody who has acne has all of these issues. I think that's important. That's an important distinction to make. So I don't want someone to go, oh my gosh, what are you telling me? I have to leave my house. I've got mold <laughs> issues. That's what's causing my acne. No. Please don't jump the gun. Definitely not. No, this is just Vivian going through her process and her journey and sharing that with you. And I, I really appreciate you for sharing that, Vivian, because I think a lot of people feel like they're crazy. You know, you feel like, wait, wait, it could be all these things because we're always told, we'll just take a medicine, take this antibiotic. Like I was told, take tetracycline when I was a teenager to get rid of my acne. And fortunately, it did go away and it stayed away. But then I ended up with problems down the road years later. So let's talk a little bit about the, the, the connection between acne and gut issues. I know that we've talked a lot on the show about the importance of gut health, but I want in this particular episode to just let's hone in on how, what's going on with acne? Like why, are there any particular reasons why or certain things that could fr from the gut cause acne? Like what would somebody want, need to know? Mm -hmm. There's a few different mechanisms. So the gut really is the center of our well-being, the center of our body, literally. And it does have a knock-on effect on the rest of the body systems. So if your gut's not healthy, other things can't function, particularly hormones and particularly the skin. So most people are familiar with the, the gut microbiome or like the rainforest of good, good and bad bacteria should be kind of 80-20, 80% good guys, 20% bad guys. The good guys keep them in check. And this main microbiome of the gut, it influences other microbiomes in the body. So the vaginal microbiome, but the, the microbiome of the skin in particular. So if you've got a dysbiotic bacteria, so too much bad bacteria as opposed to good, uh, which is very common, that can affect your skin microbiome. And then you end up with an overgrowth of bacteria on there. So it's not the bacteria that's the problem a lot of the time. It's your immune response to that bacteria. Um, and if your immune system's not healthy, like mine wasn't, your, your body's not able to keep that 
bacteria in check. Sometimes it's yeast on the skin, so people can get fungal acne or issues with dandruff on the scalp. So the gut microbiome can be affected by things like antibiotics that we know of. Mm-hmm. The birth control pill is believed to act like a low-dose antibiotic in the gut as well. So even if you've never touched a regular antibiotic, the birth control pill, if you've been on that for five, ten years, which is very common these days, yeah. you could be really affecting your gut health. Um, certain foods, so things like gluten has been shown to affect gut health and just a bad diet overall, not enough fiber, um, too many trans fats, they can all affect the the bacteria of your gut. Um, So this can affect the skin and lead to conditions like eczema for some people, psoriasis. So the same things do apply, probably the things that you've spoken about before are still relevant, but um, it just depends on kind of your genetic predispositions as to which Mm. skin condition that you develop. Yeah. And then the other way that gut health is involved in skin health is with digestion and absorption of nutrients. So if you are eating this amazing organic diet, like I was spending a ton of money every month on this great food, I wasn't actually digesting and absorbing and benefiting from those nutrients because of low stomach acid, poor bile flow, um, SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth and other gut infections. Sometimes they can get to the nutrients before you can. So they're opportunistic. They see the food in the, in the gut and they, they benefit from that before you, can, you get the chance to digest and absorb it. So then you can end up with nutrient deficiencies. Even if you're eating this great diet, you can still be deficient. I see this all the time in blood work. Like sometimes the healthiest eaters, yeah. the healthiest lifestyle have the worst blood work, which is crazy to think. <laughs> I have seen the same thing actually. And, and I've had clients with like, how is this possible? How did this happen? Like even their doctors floored, they don't understand. And I'm like, well, the gut is such a mess that your body can't even, it can't process and absorb what you're putting into it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to ask a question as you were talking. I know that we're mostly focused on adult acne today, but obviously this did start in your later teens, but you're still kind of a teenager. If there's a mom listening to this who feels really frustrated with her, you know, her teen, you know, (laughs) well, maybe you don't, but like I was really frustrated when I was like 13, 14 years old. My face, I had acne all over my face and I was trying to deal with that. Does some of this still apply to teenagers or do you just from your experience, do you know, is there like tweaks or where it might be like go or you should look at it a little bit differently from a teenager compared to an adult? Yeah, with most people um, and most people listen have probably had an issue with acne that did happen in puberty that can be kind of normal because there is such hormonal fluctuations going on so it may be that you don't really need to change much and like which teenager is going to take supplements and eat like a um, a clean their diet up too much it that can be difficult so um obviously eating nutrient-dense foods and making sure they're going to the bathroom every day maybe a probiotic could be good but a lot of the time it just kind of resolves on its own because the hormones just settle down. But if it does continue into adulthood, that's when there's more of more likelihood that there's this underlying driver involved. Um, and for women in particular, if the acne is continuing from puberty and it does seem to flare up with the menstrual cycle as well, sometimes it can be chronic. I would recommend investigating PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, because that is one of the most common reasons for adult acne. But even PCOS, I'm really seeing that as being a symptom now. So I started 
with my nutrition research, just focusing on PCOS, I was like, it's all about the hormones, it's the hormones, and acne is a symptom of PCOS. But the more that I looked into it, hormones are, I know I have the hormones in many podcasts, but hormones are like the tip of the iceberg. You could tweak your estrogen or estrogen and progesterone all day long, but if you've got chronic guts, liver, mineral detox issues under the surface, you're never going to fully address the hormone imbalances. So mm. acne is complex. The gut is a huge piece, but there's some other things as well um, that can be contributing. And I know you talk a lot and you did on the episode that we did on food sensitivities. That can be a factor as well with acne. So things like dairy have been shown to be a potential trigger. Gluten, refined sugar tend to be the top three with um, my experience and the research. But sometimes the food isn't the problem. It's the fact that you have an infection or, mm. or bioflow, your stress. Um, the food quality matters as well. So organic versus non can have a big difference. So I love acne because of how complex it is. And we were yeah. saying before, weren't we? Like we feel like health detectives sometimes. And I've always said if I weren't, if I wasn't a nutritionist, I always wanted to be a forensic detective or something <laughs> like that <laughs> on CSI. Well, I think one of the things that people are most oriented to, right, is all of these topical products, right? Like I was saying, I, I go to the dermatologist. She, I think I, I forget what I took, Retin-A or something for my acne when I was a teenager and that probably didn't cut it enough. And then they gave me tetracycline and they're like, well, it'll cut back on the inflammation. It's funny how a lot of times the, the justification of the use of antibiotics for skin issues is like, well, it reduces the inflammation. And I'm like, yeah, but it also does something to your gut. Like, let's not discount that. So the, the thing is with topical products, because the acne issue is on the outside, we think, well, if it fixes it, great, then I'm good. Is What's your take on topical products? And do you have any that you feel like might be good options for people to try? I've always said a good topical skincare routine can make a big difference. And it did for me as well. But I think it's 18, 90% internally driven and maybe 10, 20% external. So if you're rubbing coconut oil on your face still, mm. trying to be natural, trying to be organic, that's highly pore clogging. So that is not suitable at all for acne prone skin. Um, and so that's a huge issue that I see all the time. And maybe it's just not pure coconut oil that you're rubbing on, but maybe you're using a blend of oils. If coconut is in there, that can be an issue. So there are lists online, pore clogging ingredients or comedogenic ingredients. And just have a search, like put your, your product label next to the list and just go through. If it's a very last ingredient on the list, it may not be as problematic. Whereas if it's one of the first five, then it may be worth swapping that out. But with acne, if you have acne, your skin is sensitive. So that's just a given. So you want to do less to your face. Less is always more. All of these 10-step beauty routines and harsh products, scrubs, it's just not a good fit. At least until your acne is significantly better, then you can experiment with all of these actives and vitamin C serums. But you want to really just start with the basics when you have inflamed acne. Get that under control first and then move to some of those other things. And then maybe you're left with hyperpigmentation afterwards and scarring. And then you go to some more professional treatments, microneedling lasers. But again, don't do that until the actives have resolved. So exfoliation is um, very key. And I prefer to use chemical exfoliants over the physical manual scrubs. So chemical sounds more 
more um, harsh, but it's actually not. There's different degrees. There's the chemical peels done by dermatologists, but you can do things like alpha hydroxy acids, AHAs, beta hydroxy acids, BHAs in your skincare routine. Always start slowly if you're new to this, but that basically um, unclogs the pores and allows the skin cells to shed or slough off a little bit better because with acne, you end up with this hyperkeratinization um, just kind of proliferative skin cell production and things just aren't sloughing off fast enough. So then that clogs the pores, it mixes with, mixes with the sebum, the oil that we all have, but people with acne tend to have a slightly different sebum composition than regular people. So they tend to be um, deficient in a fatty acid called linoleic acid. And they mm. tend to have high levels of squalene in their sebum. So um, yeah, that exfoliation can be good, but start very slowly, but that just gives the body an extra support in getting those skin cells off. And then there are things like the retinoid family, so that's vitamin A derivatives. The kind of highest level would be the roaccutane, isotretinoin, that's the medical grade that you need a prescription for, both oral um, and the topical side of things. But you could get over-the-counter um, retinoids, so things like granactive retinoid, that, that is vitamin A, which we should be getting from the diet as well, so it should be an internal-external approach, like we were saying. But vitamin A also helps to reduce sebum production in the skin um, and it helps with the skin cell turnover on the face as well. So exfoliation from chemical exfoliants. AHAs are water soluble, so they slough off the more surface level of the skin, whereas BHAs are oil soluble. So I'd use AHAs more for sensitive or drier skins. BHA is really good for those with very congested, oily skin because it goes deeper into the pores. So um, it, it's just a bit of trial and error to get your body used to it. And then with the, with the cleansing and the moisturization, um, I prefer to use oil-free formula, formulations, just personally. I know that some people use um, certain oils, but I prefer to use them once the active acne is cleared up because a lot of people do have issues with fungal acne with combination with the bacteria and oil can feed the, the fungus and the yeast. So while we're not sure at that point, I prefer to use oil free until the acne is significantly better then we can go in with some additional oils. Can I ask you a question? Um, because you're really the first person to mention this on the show is what is the difference between fungal driven acne versus bacterial driven like is that something that a dermatologist makes a distinction or are there different symptoms like what does that how do you figure yeah. that out there are certain patterns and just the way that it um, appears can give insight as to whether it's fungal or not but the dermatologist would be the best person to rule that in or rule that out but we all have mites and bacteria and fungus and yeast on our skin just naturally like trillions of organisms in and on our skin but it's when, again, the, um, maybe the good bacteria of the skin is suppressed because you've been overdoing the antibacterial products, the benzoyl peroxides, the creams, that the fungus is allowed to proliferate, similar to when you've taken antibiotics orally, and then you end up with a yeast overgrowth or thrush afterwards. It's the same premise. But it's when the body can't control the yeast on the skin that it becomes a problem. So it's not the yeast that's the issue, it's your own body and its immune system right. being suppressed. Right, but exactly. A lot of the time it happens on the forehead or kind of at the sides of the face. Um, and it can be like the, the bumpy texture. So it never usually comes to a head and it's never usually deep and inflamed like cysts. 
it's sometimes just um, texture on the skin. And if someone's also dealing with um, dandruff mm-hmm. or any seborrheic dermatitis, that's another indication that they might also have yeast imbalances on the, on the face because it's on the scalp as well. And sometimes it's very itchy. And if oh. your acne gets worse with oil, um, and when you're hot, humid, and sweaty, or if you're wearing hats all the time, and it's really under the, the area that the hat has been covering, then that's a potential other sign that it might be fungal ribbon. Wow. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Because as you're, as you're describing all these things, I can think of people I know in the past who I'm like, oh yeah, the hat area. And yep. uh, that, is, that is a very interesting point. Um, so as we're kind of winding down here, because you know, your podcast is long. Mine is a lot shorter. So obviously we have a lot more to talk about here. So I'll have to have you come back again. Um, I, I wanted to just I think touch on maybe some important nutrients. You've talked about some that can be used topically, but what do you see in your practice that are some important nutrients? And also with that, do you recommend probiotics to clients that have acne issues? Um, If so, are there any particular types you seem to like? What are your thoughts on that, nutrients and probiotics? I'm very cautious with probiotics um, because sometimes it can make things worse. So there's certain strains that are histamine liberators. So for me, I started off with fermented foods and just over-the-counter health food shop-based probiotics. And they actually made my acne much worse because at the time I didn't know that I had an issue with histamine sensitivity. My body was just very inflamed at the time. So you would need to start slowly. But if your body's getting a negative reaction from those things, don't just keep pushing through and taking Mm. more. Your body's telling you to back off a little bit. So the only real type of probiotic that I use these days are the spore-based probiotics. I think you also use megaspore. Yeah, megaspore, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That one's good because I kind of describe it as being like an adaptogen in the gut. So because we don't really know if we've not done stool testing, if you've got very high levels of bacteria, very depleted levels of bacteria, it doesn't really matter with megaspore because it goes into the gut and just improves. It knows what the healthy gut flora is. So that one's pretty safe to use, but because it I always start off very low and slow with acne because the last thing I want to do is have someone have a flow or a purge of the skin, which can happen sometimes, the healing crisis. So for some of my clients, if they've never done probiotics before and they're also struggling with symptoms, I would start with like a sprinkle of the probiotic and just build their way up until it's tolerated. But that one's even been studied in clinical trials. Um, the microbiome labs did studies. And I think they took a group of people and within 30 days of taking the megaspore, they had a 45% reduction of acne lesions. So th- that's probably not doing anything else as well. So if you combine that yeah. with your diet and your topical as well, it can be really effective. And then additional nutrients. So this should be coming from diet, but sometimes because the soil's so depleted and because you've maybe been on other medication and your gut health's not been great, sometimes you do need to supplement. And in some cases, vitamin A or vitamin A supplementation can be useful, but you really need to be careful. And I would recommend working with someone on this because it is fat soluble. It can be toxic in high amounts. If you're someone who's recently been on Roaccutane or isotretinoin, the medication, you've probably got very high stores of vitamin A anyway. So you wouldn't want to then supplement because it's just a little bit too much. But using food as medicine is always my recommendation. So one of my favorite foods are organ meats, livers, 
like the highest source of vitamin A out there. So once a week, twice a week, that can cover your bases. And I see you're, you're pulling I your know. face a little bit. I'm not a... <laughs> Me and liver, and it's more a mental thing. I used to love liverwurst as a kid, and then my mm -hmm. sister was like, "You know what that's made of?" <laughs> she ruined it for me. In the name. <laughs> yeah, so I love them. So I've never had a problem eating them, and they really do work. But even things like cod liver oil has got mm. um, vitamin A in there as well, so that might be a good option. And the, just the fat soluble vitamin family overall. So we've got vitamin A, D, E, and K. Um, a, D, and E in particular have special benefits for the skin vitamin d is pretty good for almost everything anti-inflammatory and sunlight is the best option i think for everyone but especially if you're in the northern hemisphere and you're not outdoors you're working inside it can be hard to get enough so sometimes that can help and it helps with the immune system of the skin keeping that that bacteria so it used to be called p acnes the bacteria that's associated with you now it's called c acnes so depending on what you read it's a little <laughs> bit different and another key one is zinc so i think a lot of people have read when they get acne it's like one of the first things that they take so that's involved in activating the vitamin a so you could be eating enough just from your diet but if you if you're zinc deficient you're not actually able to use the vitamin a from your your diet and the storage um, it's also involved in regulating androgen levels. So high male hormones is a big driver of acne. And especially if your skin is more on the oilier side, or you're also struggling with um, cycle irregularities, hirsutism, so face and body hair growth, that might be a sign that your androgen levels are a little bit too high. And it's also involved in healing the skin. So once the acne is gone, if you're left with a mark or a scar for a long time, it could be that you're zinc deficient. So diet first, so things like red meats, oysters, if you can tolerate those, mm -hmm. liver again. But some people do need to supplement with yeah. that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. This was so great. You've brought up so many good points that we haven't even talked about before. And like, you know, we're looking at like over 160 some episodes at the point of us recording uh -oh. this and like haven't touched on a lot of this I stuff. <laughs> I know, I know. And that's why I like, I didn't even get to like all the things that you had had set up for this because this is an in-depth topic. And I think it'd be great if we could, we could, um, I, I especially would like to talk a little bit more, especially with your own personal journey on the history or excuse me, the, the histamine issue, mm. uh, that can be associated with acne. So, um, I think we have to have you come back. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you love coffee, but have been told it's bad and needs to be avoided if you're struggling with hormone imbalances like acne, PMS, and period problems? Honestly, most coffee out there should be avoided because the majority are contaminated with things like mold and pesticides, which can drive inflammation and those feelings like anxiousness and jitteriness after drinking. But what if I told you there was a coffee option that tastes great, is organic and mold-free, and also provides healing properties from reishi mushroom spores. Enter Organo King Coffee, my latest obsession. I didn't drink it for years because it would always wreck my sleep and leave me feeling like an anxious mess. But King Coffee does the exact opposite. Don't worry, it's not one of those fake coffee alternatives made from herbs. And if you've tried other mushroom coffee brands out there, I promise this one actually tastes good and is way better and provides so many more health benefits. If you haven't already heard of the benefits of reishi mushroom or Ganoderma, then let me give you a quick overview. It's known as the king of medicinal mushroom family due to its superpowers such as supporting healthy immune balance and being an adrenal adaptogen. 
This means if your immune system is overactive due to autoimmunity, or suppressed because of things like chronic infections, and you're not really sure if your cortisol levels are high or low, Luratia can help to balance things out and it promotes homeostasis within the body. It's also antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, pretty much everything that we want from a product. Because of its potency, I'd recommend starting slowly if you're someone who's struggling with more complex chronic health issues or is sensitive. If you're thinking, why can't I just take a reishi mushroom supplement? Good question. Organo use a patented process to gently crack the inner and outer shell, offering 99% bioavailability of the reishi mushroom spores. I also explain this as being like the differences with probiotics. The regular lactobacillus, bifidobacterium options that we can all buy readily in health food shops have some benefit, but nowhere near as much as the spore-based probiotics that I use all the time with clients. Wanting to give Organo King Coffee a try for yourself? Visit vivanaturalhealth.myorganogold.com. This will all be spelled out and linked in the episode show notes and also my bio link on Instagram. I really hope you love it as much as I do, but now let's get back to the show. So basically, Vivian, <laughs> what is the, the general connection between hormones and acne? And, and is this, and, and it's not just sex hormones, correct? Yeah. When people think hormones, they think like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and they really do influence the skin. But there are other hormones like cortisol and insulin that can also be involved. But I think in some way, acne, there's always a hormonal component, but it doesn't need to be like around the menstrual cycle. For example, if someone has acne all month long, um, and people usually think hormonal acne is just on the lower part of the face, that's not always the case either. I think with any acne, there's always a hormone involved, but the most common ones that I see would be, we'll start with insulin, because that can drive things like hormonal acne in terms of PCOS. So with PCOS, if you have acne as an adult woman, then there is a a big likelihood that you might have PCOS because that is a, a big driver, but that's not always the case. There are other things like poor gut health that can be involved or nutrient deficiencies. Um, but with, with um what was the one that i was talking about insulin insulin (laughs) with insulin um that can drive testosterone and other androgens to be produced from the ovaries so we all have testosterone as women we all have androgens like dhea but when you have high insulin levels that triggers a certain layer of the ovaries called the theca the theca cells to produce excess androgens but with pcos as well androgens don't just come from the ovaries they can also come from the adrenals that would be something like dhas so first ruling on really insulin issues and that could be based on lab work or that can be based off symptoms so in terms of blood work sometimes it's not showing too much until someone is pre-diabetic or full-blown like has full-blown diabetes so you can't always just look at blood work but things to look at would be high or elevated fasting insulin or HbA1c or glucose levels are some common ones. For some of my clients, I have them do finger prick blood glucose testing. So postprandial testing, and you can get some kits off Amazon, or there's some ones that you can put into your arm, some new devices that are a lot easier, but a little bit more expensive. Because some people, it's not first thing in the morning that their blood sugar is out of range. So if they went to the doctor's office, it would probably show normal. It's after they eat that's the problem. 
And how long, how long do you, can you just walk someone through, like, generally speaking, like, how do you do that? Like how, what's the time frame that you're looking at the numbers after eating and how long for? Yeah. Yeah. So I would start with 15 minutes after eating. Mm. Um, It depends because some people, the glucose spike, like the highest spike only happens an hour after eating. For some people it's within 20 minutes. So I always say start at like the 15 minute mark. When you have the um, the implant into your arm to do the glucose test, that's a lot easier. So the continuous glucose monitor, CGMs, you can basically like scan a device or your phone over the area and it was, it's going to tell you. So rather than pricking your finger every 15 minutes, it's going to be way easier. But I do um, probably every 15 minutes for up to two hours. And I know that's like pretty intense. You don't need to do this every single day. I recommend doing like two to three full days of testing and then put the kit away and just go off based off symptoms because otherwise it gets a little bit too stressful but that can give you really good insight as to how high your glucose is spiking how fast your body is clearing the glucose from your body because if it's staying elevated for a long period of time that could be a sign of insulin resistance and that could be something that's driving your acne but you could also go based off symptoms okay and i wanted to just ask you quickly about diet because we, we talked about this previously with um, Brie Weisselman. Some of you have probably heard her episode. And in that episode, Brie had specifically mentioned that she doesn't like dairy for folks who are struggling with PCOS, um, acne issues. Some people notice their acne will clear up entirely just from removing dairy. But you said something to me before we started talking about dairy. And I think that the listeners would really appreciate hearing this. So what's your take on dairy? So it is a common food sensitivity and food allergy. Um, A lot of people know that. So it can be a problem, especially when your body is out of balance, other sensitivities can develop, but it can be lifelong as well. So with something like gluten and dairy, they can just be lifelong and you can't really change that. But for a lot of my clients, I've noticed that they develop dairy sensitivities because their microbiome is messed up or they have low stomach acid levels or they're just chronically inflamed. Um, and once you address those things, you can introduce dairy back into the diet in a lot of, in a lot of cases. It does depend on your ethnicity as well. I find that a lot of people from European descent tend to tolerate dairy a lot better than those nearer to the equator. So that could be a factor, but with acne, I always, and PCOS, I always do 30-day, 60-day elimination just to let the body calm down any inflammation and just to see whether it is a factor or not. Because the thing is with a food sensitivity, you don't really know that you have one until you remove that food and do a challenge. So if you've drank milk every day of your life and then you don't really have any symptoms, if you remove that, your body will obviously tell you when you introduce it back in if it's not a good thing because you might get bloated, you might get diarrhea, your skin might flare up with um, a breakout. So I always do a short term elimination. And whilst we work on the underlying root causes, reduce inflammation, and then bring it back in. But for many people, dairy is fine. There can be an issue, obviously, with quality. So I always recommend organic, um, especially in the US, the dairy quality is pretty, pretty bad. In a lot of cases, um, for some people, raw dairy is better as well because it has the natural probiotics and enzymes that help you tolerate it even more. One thing that may not be great is whey protein. 
because that is very insulinogenic. So it, although it's low in carbs and it's low in sugar, it really promotes insulin release in the body. And if you have PCOS or high insulin, high blood sugar levels, that's just going to be adding fuel to the fire. But something like cheese or an organic milk or butter or yogurt could actually be a good health food for some people. And some people, I've actually noticed that their skin gets better when they add some of those things in, whether it's like a kefir. Um, sometimes it's the fat-soluble nutrients that are in there, like the vitamin A or the iodine, um, the minerals in there that can actually support things like thyroid function and therefore improve the, the skin health. But it's always worth ruling it out as a factor first, but it's not a blanket statement. I see some people like no dairy at all if you have acne. Um, and a lot of people with acne have food fear where they just like keep, and I, I know it's the same with eczema and psoriasis. They just keep removing food after food. And I've been there as well. So I want to get to the place where my body can tolerate as many foods as possible. Um, and that's by improving your microbiome immunity, all of that. Yeah. And I just think it's interesting, the point you make, especially in regards to this conversation on insulin, that whey, because whey protein is the most common protein, I think, on the market. And so for most people, when they hear me say, well, you should probably consider adding like a protein powder to your diet in order to increase the amount of protein you're getting, the first thing that they can find on a, sh a store shelf is whey. It's the most common one. And um, for some people, it can be very problem, like whey would make me sick probably <laughs> in a, co a concentration like that. But this, what would be, if someone does say have a concern about acne and maybe they have been doing whey protein or they were told by someone to do whey and they have noticed that, you know, oh, now that I hear this, now that I, you know, I'm thinking about it. I think my acne has actually gotten worse since I started using this protein. What would be a better option? And, and we're, we'll preface this with everyone is different. Yes, you can certainly have allergies to any one of these things. So this is just a general list and then you figure out what's best for you. Exactly. So there's the animal-based ones, like the hydrolyzed beef protein or collagen protein. And then there's the plant-based or vegan ones, which would be pea or hemp. They would be my favorite, but always check the ingredients because a lot of them add like 20 additional ingredients in there. So just make sure it's um, organic if possible, just good quality, minimal ingredients, minimally sweetened if possible. Um, but yeah, with the protein thing, it can, it's important to have that blood sugar balance. Um, but the, the whey protein is why bodybuilders use it to gain that muscle mass. But in some people, it's just not a great thing. Yeah. And, and so let's kind of like step to the next thing to cortisol. Cause I think that cortisol is something most people are familiar with because they do have concerns that their adrenals may be taxed or, or overwhelmed with all the things going on. A lot of people believe that they have something called adrenal fatigue, which is not really a thing. It's more, um, the HPA axis dysfunction that's going on, but how is cortisol involved with acne? So both high cortisol and low cortisol can be a trigger, but I usually see high cortisol being the most problematic because when your body's pumping out cortisol from the adrenal glands, it's also pumping out things like adrenaline and some of these androgens as well, like DHEAS. And these things can increase sebum production in the skin. 
They can increase inflammation. They can increase blood sugar and insulin. So despite your diet, your stress levels can increase those as well. So it's like a vicious cycle. Um, but having low cortisol as well, or that quote, adrenal fatigue, which I agree isn't really a technical term. It's just that the, <laughs> the brain is like telling the adrenals, like stop producing so much because they've been stressed out for too long. But cortisol is anti-inflammatory. So when you have low levels of cortisol, your body doesn't regulate inflammation properly. And that can lead to um, skin issues as well, not just mm. acne, but eczema and psoriasis. And so do you find something like the Dutch test to be helpful? And because I know that they, I always like to see that cortisol response uh, grid that they have. I think it's really helpful, especially in terms of like, and this is an aside, but for people who've had a lot of steroid exposure because of steroid creams and things, I always find the whole cortisone, cortisol chart to be really helpful. Is that also, so that's also helpful for acne folks as well. Definitely. The, the Dutch test isn't one that I jump to right away with acne because just based off like clinical experience and certain symptoms, I can tell usually what the driver is, whether it is um, progesterone, lack of progesterone or high androgens, which we can get into. But if someone is still struggling and they're also having other symptoms like fatigue or anxiety or menstrual problems, then the Dutch test can be good. It's like a one-stop shop for all of those things. Um, some people might have heard about the salivary um, or the saliva cortisol test. I'm not a huge fan of those because that's just looking at free cortisol levels. So how much is available at the tissue level, which is important, but the Dutch test doesn't just show you that. It shows you how much your adrenals are actually making because sometimes people get diagnosed with, quote, adrenal fatigue because their free cortisol is really low. But when you look at the Dutch test, the body's actually producing a ton of cortisol and they're just looking at the wrong thing. So if they were given treatment to boost their cortisol even more, thinking that they had adrenal fatigue, they're just going to make the issue worse. Oh, so wow. The Dutch really shows a comprehensive look at how much your body's making, how it's getting rid of it, how it is throughout the day. So is it high at the wrong times, like at night when it should be pretty low? Um, so yeah, it's a really good test. Okay. And actually let's talk about androgens. Cause I think that seems to be a good segue. So for people who don't know what androgens are, what are they? So it's a class of male hormones and men obviously have, I think men have 10 times as much testosterone as women, but women have small amounts of testosterone and androgens, which are these male hormones. Men have small amounts of estrogen or estrogen within the system they're basically just masculinizing hormones. So they can in excess lead to things like excessive hair growth or hirsutism, which is also common in PCOS. So if you have acne and you're also dealing with um, excess hair growth on like, the beard area, so I think where men would grow hair, and sometimes on the nipples, sometimes underneath the belly button or um, in other parts of the body, they can have issues that could be a sign of high androgen levels or if your skin is excessively oily, if your hair is oily, if you're losing hair on your head and gaining it on your body in excessive levels, then the, the places that you don't want it basically, then that could be a sign <laughs> that your androgens are too yeah. high. But having low androgens isn't great either. So we want a nice balance. Um, it sounds a lot like the Goldilocks yeah, principle. Yeah. Like we it don't want too is. much. We don't want too little. We want just the right amount for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes that's easier said than done in some of these cases. But yes. with PCOS, a big driver is that insulin 
um, high insulin high insulin levels and insulin resistance. And in some instances, um, I have a family member uh, in her twenties who was actually um, given spirolactone for her acne because they told her that she had high testosterone. So how does high testosterone levels in a woman, aside from the hair growth and such, how does that actually contribute to acne? So that increases your sebum levels mainly. Um, And then that can obviously clog the pore. The pore gets like a localized infection and that's where the redness and the pus comes in as well. So it mainly is just increasing that sebum production in the skin and increasing inflammation as well. But there's a, another androgen called DHT that testosterone can convert into. And that one is very potent. So I have some clients who have normal, even normal to low levels of testosterone. And therefore they get, they told that everything's fine, but the way that their body converts that testosterone, it turns it into this super potent version called dihydrotestosterone. And that's the one that is really problematic for skin issues. So in this instance, is the medication the only option or are there other routes to rebalance the testosterone and, and also not just the testosterone per se, but to maybe shift it away from that more potent uh, acne prone um, uh, bipolar? Yeah, it's an enzyme. Yeah, it's an enzyme that does that called 5-alpha reductase. Um, and you can slow that down using things like salt palmetto, zinc, nettle, reishi mushroom, um, and things that upregulate that enzyme. So speed up that DHT production would be inflammation, that high insulin and stress. They're the main things as well. So I'm always trying to figure out the cause of the problem, not just throwing like reishi mushroom <laughs> as a supplement, because that's not really going to fix the problem. It can help, but it is a bit, bit of a band-aid solution. So I'm trying to figure out does this person have insulin resistance? And if so, how can we address that through increasing muscle mass, balancing the blood sugar, more protein, less refined carbohydrates, better sleep. They all help. Does this person have um, chronic inflammation stemming from infections in the gut or um, environmental toxicity, removing those things. So it really is just about getting the person healthy and balanced overall. And a lot of the time, these hormone imbalances, they just, fix themselves. Not always, but hormone imbalances don't happen randomly. They happen as a result. They're usually like the tip of the iceberg, the things that people focus on, but you need to look under the surface at all of these other things and address those first rather than jumping to medication. And so for someone who is on, say, say they're on spirolactone now or some other medication. And I know sometimes people are also put on birth control pills to try and deal with their acne as well. Do you see in your practice where people are able to eventually stop taking these medications? So it's not like a lifelong, like you're stuck on them. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. I I usually have people come to me first, uh, which is kind of like the ideal thing, try and address the problem first. And there is a time and place for medication. So there is, um, if someone is really struggling with their skin, like mental health wise, the birth control pill might be a good thing just to get their skin a little bit clearer if they're struggling with depression. But if you don't address the root cause of the acne now and you just go on the spironolactone, then you're not really addressing the problem. And sometimes the internal imbalances that are driving your acne, they just get worse. And then your body will tell you in another way that it's struggling. So it may not be acne anymore. It may be chronic fatigue or hair loss. Um, They can spiral. 
Yeah. And, and actually, so speaking of chronic fatigue, a lot of times people who have thyroid issues have also have chronic fatigue and the thyroid can also, I find like for, if someone is dealt with long, long-term stressors, a lot of times their thyroid can really take a hit. So how is the thyroid also re- related to this whole acne piece? This is one that's commonly overlooked and I never heard about thyroid issues contributing to acne when I had it. Um, and sometimes it's a direct connection because thyroid is like the metabolism of the body and it's involved in things like skin cell turnover. So if that's happening at a slower rate, then you're going to have skin cell buildup and that's just, um, that's going to predispose you to developing clogged pores and then breakouts. Some people get chronically dry skin with thyroid issues. So it really does affect the skin, but, um, it can also affect things like progesterone production. So if your thyroid is sluggish, then your body is going to have issues with producing progesterone, which is very beneficial for the skin. So progesterone helps to keep things like DHT and androgens in check. And it also helps to give us that nice glow. That's why a lot of pregnant women, they get the pregnancy glow. A lot of the times it's due to progesterone levels. So if there's one hormone that's amazing for skin and helping acne, it's progesterone. Yes. We're, we're not suggesting that you supplement it. Oh no. No, we want our body to produce its own natural progesterone. Yes. That's the goal. So no bioidentical, um, sometimes bioidenticals can actually make acne worse. So that's an important point. So the goal is to have your body do it on its own. Um, so a healthy thyroid, it works both ways. You can't really produce progesterone until your thyroid's healthy. But then in order to have a healthy thyroid, you need healthy progesterone. So they all are interconnected. And can I ask one other question that you, now that you bring this up about the progesterone, is this one potential scenario or explanation of why a woman who say pre-pregnancy might have awful skin, get pregnant, acne could clear up and then post-pregnancy it comes back? Definitely. Yeah. It's another reason that people get breakouts before their period as well. Because if you have low progesterone levels leading up to your period, you're going to be naturally estrogen dominant. So the goal is to be more estrogen dominant in the first half of the cycle leading up to ovulation, but then we should be progesterone dominant between ovulation and before our period. So if someone's breakouts are cyclical and they notice a direct correlation between where they are in the menstrual cycle and how many breakouts they have, then it's usually low progesterone levels to blame. Interesting. That's so complicated. This is why I, like acne is not my wheelhouse. Like sometimes it's one of the complaints that someone has, but usually like they're like, no, I have psoriasis, right? I'm like, okay. Yeah, there's <laughs> but, a lot of things, a lot of crossover with yeah. diet and nutrition with um, all of these skin conditions, but acne is like more specific in certain areas. Yeah. Like with the whey protein, it can be used for eczema with increasing glutathione levels. And that's why it's usually recommended for um, like liver support because of the high sulfur, but with acne it can be a problem. So there's a few things like that, that yep. they don't cross over. Exactly. Oh my gosh. It's so interesting. Um, I, I have one last question for you. Cause I think this would benefit everybody listening. You talked, you actually mentioned stress a number of times on this podcast, because stress does play a role in our hormone balance in general. Do you have like one favorite tip that you like to share with clients of how to start de, oh gosh, I hate the term de-stressing or managing your stress. It sounds like nobody wants to manage their stress. 
podcast, but like, do you have one suggestion for people listening that where they could maybe initiate this one little thing tomorrow and do that one little thing every day? And, you know, at least it's a start. And then once they sort of learn to ride that bike, they could begin adding on to that. But I think I, I'd be curious to hear what your, what a stress tip, stress relieving tip you have um, to help <laughs> totally those agree with skin that. issues. Because sometimes people, they get more stress when you tell them to stress less. They're like, oh my God, I shouldn't be stressing. <laughs> like my skin's going to be, my gut. Yeah. Um, so the goal is to like relax more. We'll use that. We'll use that yeah, term. So and one of go. the best ways to do that is through the breath. I know people have probably heard this before. So I'll give you the breath one. So um, the breath is one of the best ways to put the body into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest and heal state of the nervous system. So if you, if your life was actually in danger um, and the body doesn't know the difference between real or perceived danger, you could be sat on your couch, on your sofa, like worrying and worrying about like 2020 <laughs> COVID or all of these other things and still have that same physiological response as if you were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. So your, your mind and your brain is very, very powerful. But when I say stress as well, it also includes things like infections in the body, deficiencies, thyroid issues, low progesterone levels. They're also stresses on the body. So obviously some of those things and environmental toxins um, and air pollution, we can't control those types of stress, but we can control what, like how much we delegate tasks and who we surround ourselves with. So breath, when you breathe through the nose in particular, it really calms the body. And if you were really in the same room as a saber-toothed tiger, you would not be able to breathe that deep and slow. So it tricks the brain a little bit. So you can do it. It's free. It's easy, mm -hmm. particularly before meals um, is really powerful to get you into that rest and digest mode so that you can actually break down your food properly. But um, there's a few different breathing techniques. There's the alternate nostril breathing. There's box breathing. So you can um, Google or YouTube a few of these. But another tip, I'll give you an extra one, <laughs> is the mindset shift around stress because I was that person who um, knew that stress was a trigger for my PCOS and my acne, but someone telling me that was actually making it worse. So there's a really good book called The Upside of Stress. I think it's by Dr. Kelly something. I'm sure you can find it. <laughs> the Upside we'll, of Stress. <laughs> we'll find it. We'll link to it in the show yeah, notes. <laughs> that was a very useful, but that talks all about how to reframe your thoughts and your perceptions of stress to make it less harmful to your body. So in the morning, if you have a big to-do list, you change that to, I get to do these things instead. Or if there's a project or an interview at work that you have, instead of thinking how scared and nervous you are for it, think of that feeling inside as excitement instead. Because they really do feel similar, that racing heart, the sweaty palms, that tension. You can easily trick your brain into thinking that you're excited rather than thinking that you're scared. And that's going to have way less detriment to your health, way less cortisol um, being released with that same scenario. Yeah, I love that. We'll, we'll definitely put all of those, all everything you shared in the show notes. And also too, just to remind you guys, I did actually do an episode on three different breathing exercises. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. That way you guys can easily find that. And if you want, I have YouTube videos that just walk you through how to do those. So they might be helpful. 
Um, so I just, Vivian, I want to thank you so much for sharing all of this. This has been a great conversation and really enlightening. And I, I love too, that you took this in so many different directions to show that, you know, someone may not have all of these different things going on. You might just have one or two pieces of this hormone imbalance, but why it's so important to take a step back and not just say, oh, it must be my sex hormones. It must just be my progesterone. (laughs) (laughs) or my insulin, because it could, there could be other pieces to this that complicate one's particular acne picture, especially when they're really frustrated and it's a a chronic stubborn problem they can't get rid of. So um, I just want to thank you so much for sharing so much great information. And I look forward to the feedback that we'll get and the questions, and then hopefully we can have you come back sometime. Amazing. Yeah. I would love that. I feel like I love acne so much because of how complex it is <laughs> for like a detective trying to figure it out. And for someone, it could be as simple as removing dairy. And that could be like the cure for the acne. Whereas someone else like me, there was like a ton of different things driving it. And it really needs to be a holistic approach. Very, very much. I Do I agree with you? Yes. <laughs> I love this. I love this. That's why I'm so glad that we met. And remember everyone, I was actually on the Hormones in Harmony podcast. It's Vivian's podcast. So if you're looking for more information on this, check out her show and share that with people who are really struggling with this because I have a feeling they're going to learn a lot. And then if you want to get in touch with Vivian, you can find her at vivanaturalhealth.co.uk. I will link to all of her social media in the show notes. And gosh, Vivian, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Jen. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone-friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain and refined sugar-free recipes and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrollment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.